It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 33, we discuss NBC's big change to next season's Premier League coverage, which massive soccer competition is going to debut games on Facebook Live, our latest analysis on the Confederations Cup TV coverage, plus news about the Gold Cup TV schedule and more. Plus, as always, we've got lots of feedback and questions from you, the listeners. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnar. Kartik, you just witnessed a uh, kind of a, a thrashing there uh, of Mexico by Germany. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, uh, on this German team? This German team is uh, an exciting young team. You and I uh, had the privilege of seeing a lot of these guys, Goretzka, Heinrich, uh, Brandt, uh, uh, Leroy Sané, who was in this team but was injured. A lot of these guys up in the flesh uh, when we went to a Schalke Leverkusen game at Leverkusen, uh, you and I among uh, a couple of other journalists from the United States about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now. And uh, I, I saw both those teams play in friendlies here in the state of Florida a month or two later. So... Uh, really exciting to see guys that were 19 and 20 and 21 when we saw them just a year and a half ago talked about as prospective national team players. And I remember, uh, Chris, maybe it was even to you poo-pooing the idea, saying, oh, Germany is so loaded. How are any of these guys going to break through? I mean, they're not, we're not going to see them anytime soon. Well, Germany has a system, and they use this tournament, qualification for this tournament, as a chance to bloodlet some of these guys. And Goretzka and, and particular who's uh to me was such an impressive player seeing in person uh, in germany back in november of uh 2015 has just uh, uh taken this tournament by storm as is timo Werner, a player who i rate very highly having watched him a lot this season at leipzig on television um thinking that maybe Werner is that number nine that germany has lacked um, keep in mind, in spite of Germany winning so much as they have uh, the last decade, uh, Mario Gomez has stayed in the team because he's their only pure number nine. And um, he's passed it. So uh, good to see that. Just so impressed by them. Yeah, and it's one of those things that's always uh, great to watch these tournaments because you do see some up-and-coming stars, uh, not, not just for Germany, but for other squads too. And also the U21 Euros we'll be talking about in a little bit. Uh, we had the Toulon tournament recently, we had the U20 tournament. So it has been a summer of uh, youth and uh, some really positive signs to see for, uh, for the future there for, for soccer fans from around the world. Speaking of soccer fans and speaking of around the world, Kartik, uh, what have you been watching this past week? Okay, so I've obviously watched uh, Confederations Cup 
on uh, the, the Thursday, whatever the games were last week, and then Saturday, Russia, Mexico, both on Fox and on Telemundo. Telemundo's coverage was stronger. Fox getting better with their Mexico coverage. Um, I think uh, the, the team of Noriega and Jones have have gotten uh, have gotten better. They're still not ideal, but they're getting there. Um, uh, but then after that game on Fox, Red Bull New York playing host to NYCFC in what is a rival big rivalry for the fans, the Hudson River Derby. I don't know that it's that big for the players, but it's getting bigger and bigger for the players. I thought uh, Mark Folliwell and Tony Miola were very solid uh, katie witten was hosting um the pre-game and post-game show very american presentation very mls-ish pre- presentation but for what it was very good and um a match that unfortunately wasn't very entertaining either a lot of controversy about jesse marsh the red bull coach uh, who has said very openly hey i, I mean I, I love what i'm doing but i want to uh i want to test myself in europe at some point as a manager so he had gone and uh, taking his UEFA, uh, uh, a, one of the courses you need for your UEFA Pro license, which is the highest license in UEFA, and which you need to get a job in a top league. And he um, had missed the entire week before this derby. So that ended up being one of the big talking points during the broadcast. But um, I thought Fox did very well with it. Uh, Portland, Seattle, though, again, you see the difference in capability levels between ESPN and Fox. Portland, Seattle, the next night uh, on ESPN with uh, their entire team, Sebastian Salazar as the host. You have um, you have analysts on site uh, to, uh, in your pregame show uh, working it. Then you've got the um, the call from Adrian Healy and Taylor Twelman, who are outstanding and can really describe the 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 feel of. The- this rivalry, the ambiance, everything, uh, and don't, and it isn't overkill. It's, it's very, very, um, very, very honest presentation. You have Dempsey's late, uh, equalizer, and that becomes a big talking point. Then you have ESPN FC one hour show that, uh, right after where they're doing some highlights and transfer talk, highlights of the Federation's cup and transfer talk as well, but really are able to piggyback off of the game, uh, bring Salazar back on and his team on site, analyze the game, break down what happened and, uh, kind of wrap around again. This is the, this is, uh, ESPN having an anchor show for their soccer coverage, which Fox doesn't. If Fox had kept Fox soccer report, for instance, or, or some sort of program like that, uh, where they're able to, kind of segue from the game uh, to other football around the world, but then work in that game and uh, bring Taylor Coleman back on the show, bring Adrian Healy back on the show, uh, talk about the relevance of that result, preview the U.S. Open Cup match coming up between Chicago and Cincinnati. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. That was on ESPN as well with the same, same two broadcasters and, and a fantastic job. Um, this was actually a very big week for ESPN because then they had the U21 UA for U21s. And keep in mind, we lament sometimes that ESPN doesn't have the rights to a lot of things, Chris, but they have the rights to UEFA international. Uh, international tournaments at this point, including the Nations Cup, which is going to launch uh, in a few years. So this has been a tournament that has always gotten a lot of attention in the European press, in the British press, in the German press, in the Spanish press, etc., but has never had the kind of coverage 
the United States, television coverage where we can really analyze it. Well, ESPN is showing the games this year on ESPNU, which is a channel which is in more homes than FS2. And um, I thought they were pretty good. I, Jonathan Yardley, who um, used to contribute to MLSsoccer.com, I've kind of lost track of where he's been the last year or two. Uh, it was a few years ago when he used to do a lot of stuff online for Major League Soccer. Uh, he called the game, the England-Germany game, along with Alejandro Moreno, I think Yardley had a uh, lot of Americanized terms, but did very well. Otherwise, he knew the um, he knew the teams pretty well. Moreno, um, oh, look, I, 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 maybe it's just honest analysis, right? But Moreno, I think, in his analysis, tended to tended to really um, drool over everything Germany was doing and didn't have much regard for anything England was doing. And again, uh, Germany kept the ball. They, they have better technical footballers. Their shape is better. I mean, all that stuff is true. But then at the same time, you have to admire an English team that's able to smash and grab and create a lot of chances that way. Right. That is a legitimate way of playing football against the side. That is better than you from a technical standpoint and and from a talent standpoint. Uh, Alejandro Moreno, who I like, I I think reflected a certain bias towards Germany in this match. Mm -hmm. Um, But then again, if you or I are the the, uh, co-commentator for a match like that, Chris, we might be the same way because Germany clearly was a better team. So – but I do – I do think he was pretty biased, though. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It was a little bit annoying listening to the commentary because you saw that Germany was the better team. Uh, You saw that England, like you said, on the break were actually very dangerous. Uh, And England had, like, what, I think two or three penalty calls in the first half that could have easily gone their way. But Germany was was the better team, and England was holding on. They had the the 2-1 lead uh, in the second half, and... uh, Moreno, Moreno was kind of just basically talking how wonderful Germany was, and Yardley kind of uh, went along with that too. So it felt like a very anti-English uh, commentary, uh, but at the same time, I mean, the German players uh, were having more possession of the ball, a better team overall, and I think England was really kind of bunkering in, trying to do the best that they could with what they had. They almost won it. I mean, it went down to penalty <laughs> kicks. Uh, it could have gone either way. I mean, England didn't miss any penalty kicks. It was more so the uh, the German goalkeeper that saved them. Right. Most, m- most people probably missed this match and didn't see it, but it was a really entertaining game. Uh, Jonathan Yardley, this is the first time I've had a chance to hear him. In the beginning, I thought he was pretty good in this, in this commentary, but his cadence is very much like a baseball game. He's talking, talking about uh, some player hit the ball wide right. Uh, I think when uh, he was talking about the end lines, uh, I think when Germany equalized uh, in the game to tie it 2-2, he said uh, tie ball game. Yeah, I don't remember him ever calling a game before, honestly. I, I He did a lot of web features, uh, videos, things like that on MLSsoccer.com, but it was never games, right? Mm-hmm. So he never – I think he did okay. I'd cut him some slack. I think, though, there's an overall um, – I don't want to say contempt for, for English style of football, uh, but maybe on – among ESPN's team, you know, for better or for worse, because obviously Dan Thomas is English and he hosts ESPN FC, but you have Burley and uh, Nickel in the studio. Uh, and it's Shaka. great how, and Shaka, um, uh, Shaka has more of a, a, a reverence for the English style of football, but Burley and uh, and Nickel. Nickel goes on about how poor England is a lot often, and, and part of it is him being Scottish, being part of those great Liverpool teams that had a, a core of Scottish players, some Irish players, right, some Welsh players. Uh, it, it, they were never as English a club, Liverpool, as the other clubs in England. And um, Stevie Nickel 
has a tendency to go on and on about how dire England is all the time, whether it be the youth level or the senior level, how poorly they play, how they can't keep the ball, how their shape is poor. And uh, you watched the same broadcast as I did. He uh, had a field day with it in the studio, but uh, halftime and after the game, just kind of feeding along the lines of exactly what Moreno was saying in the, in the, um, uh, in during the broadcast. And then Burley uh, followed up Burley, you know, always makes, uh, take shots in English football. So, um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I don't disagree with them, but it's yeah. just like there was a certain degree of overkill in this particular broadcast because for uh, guys like Burley, Nickel, and Moreno who are overly critical of English football, a game against Germany is like your your layup, right? Your tap-in because right. uh, clearly Germany is going to be better yeah. at, at football. So you have to devise a tactic, uh, conceding the other team is better than you, to, to keep yourself competitive. And I felt like A.D. Boothroy did that and they didn't give him enough credit. Yeah, and you look at Toulon, you look at the U20 World Cup. So from the youth level, England's uh, won both of those tournaments. Uh, in the semi-final here, they almost made it through to the final, lost on penalty kicks. Uh, and again, it was more the German goalkeeper making some great saves to keep them in the, in the game. So England's tactics almost worked. But on the day, you're right, Kartik, Germany is a machine. They're, uh, I mean, we've seen this at the U21 level this week. We saw this uh, against Mexico. They are a well-drilled team and a very good, difficult team to beat. So, so when you do have those tactics where you're um, parking the bus, really, which is what England was doing with about 30 minutes to go in the game against Germany, I'm okay with that. I mean, they were trying to see if they could figure out a way to just uh, have Germany keep possession and just let them pass the ball around. At the end of the day, it didn't work. But yeah, Moreno definitely seemed to be, it seemed to be a very anti-English pro-MLS bias. I mean, and this is not the first time this has happened from him. Uh, I'm not a big fan at all uh, of him, but um, it is what it is. That, that, that's, that's the way he is. Then after that, uh, watch Spain, Italy on uh, the U21. Sebastian Salazar was very good. He's been he's actually been improving ever since he got to ESPN. Uh, another example of a guy who's uh, a broadcaster whose game has been stepped up since going to ESPN. Um, he was pretty solid. Um, I just felt like the game itself was uh, was poor. Hercules Gomez wasn't given a lot to say because you had a situation where Spain were so dominant and Italy were playing so negatively that um, there wasn't much analysis to be had. I guess Herc Gomez had a good 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 outing, but there wasn't a whole lot to this. So that was uh, that was uh, another ESPN broadcast, and then another ESPN broadcast in the U.S. Open Cup on Wednesday night was uh, a, a match they added because Cincinnati along with maybe Chattanooga and a few others are the story now in U.S. soccer. Uh, FC Cincinnati got to host a U.S. Open Cup match against Chicago. Great great move by ESPN adding it. Great move by ESPN moving it from ESPN2 to ESPN after adding it. And uh, this was a, a really good broadcast with a great atmosphere. Shows you the potential of this tournament, the U.S. Open Cup, particularly when it's being broadcast at a high level by ESPN with God, with Healy and Twelman on site. And it also shows you the potential of Cincinnati as an MLS market and what they can bring to the league. And, and I'm very happy for them. And I'm happy that they got, they got the result too and they move on to the next round. But that was a great, great broadcast. Uh, now, uh, today, I think you and I have both watched uh, Germany-Mexico. Um, I, I get the sense Fox is getting better. Uh, I know um, there are a lot of people who are fans of Fox uh, don't like this podcast, don't like what we have to say, but I get the sense they're listening to us because it seems um, some of the things we used to complain about 
they're getting right. Mm -hmm. So today, I felt like they were able to use their studio team to understand the tactics and talk about the mentality of both teams and the psychological aspects of the game in a way that they haven't in a big game that has been on Fox before. And I, and I, and I thought Lawless was particularly good today compared to his normal standard. He talked about um, Germany understanding the moment and understanding the uh, mentally with a team like Mexico with their mental fragility, if you get all over them early, they're never going to recover. And that's what happened. He called that uh, in the pregame that that could happen. And it happened. And uh, I think Ian Wright has brought a lot to this Fox studio team. I, I'm, um, and I have to say, I started what, the beginning of this tournament. I was watching on Telemundo. I've gradually switched to Fox because they have, uh, uh, up their game mariano rivera like i'm still not in love with fiori being in that studio i i understand it uh but i'm not necessarily in love with it but i think they were good today and then when you go to um uh to to the team in russia and love to hear your thoughts on this i think uh uh we missed heating today which is too bad but i think when heating and winalda are paired together mm -hmm. um and kate abdo was asking the questions she's getting a lot out of them so while the presentation style and the production the style of production the style of presentation and certainly the intros and outros are very different than espn and maybe it's something uh, people like you and I are less comfortable with. Maybe we've just grown accustomed to the way ESPN presents major tournaments. I really think Fox is growing um, throughout this tournament. Now, I would put the caveat on this because I wrote an article about this on World Soccer Talk earlier this week, Chris. I think a big part of it is the U.S. not being in this tournament. And I think once the U.S. is back in the mix, they get back to being clownish Fox. And um, if you're a neutral next summer, maybe you want the U.S. three and out in the group stage and just out of there because uh, it, it seems like they have to become more professional. They have to think about the game a little more. They have to analyze the game a little harder, and they have to work harder mm -hmm. if the U.S. isn't involved. But when the U.S. is involved, they have easy, lazy narratives and a lot of cheerleading. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Kartik, so, so this one, I, I just got back from the UK uh, this past weekend. So I missed most of uh, Fox's coverage uh, up, to, up to now. And, and it, the coverage I did see uh, from England uh, watching FS1 uh, was mostly the match commentary. I didn't get a chance to watch much uh, or just a little bit really of the halftime or pregame analysis. So for me, this week has been really my first chance to sit back and, and watch what Fox is, is doing with the Confederations Cup. And by Fox's standards, I was blown away. I was really, really impressed by what they did. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the, uh, the Portugal game in a minute. But uh, as far as the Mexico-Germany uh, game, I thought they were just as good on, on, for that game as they were for the game uh, for the Portugal-Chile uh, game. Uh, this Mexico-Germany game was on FS2, which was a, uh, a downer. I mean, I began watching it on TV, uh, on my Comcast. It was an SD, and I was like, oh, this quality is pretty poor. Not used to watching soccer on, uh, in, in SD anymore. So I switched to Fubo and watched it um, on my laptop um, in HD, and that was much, much better. Um, now, as far as Jorge uh, Perez Navarro, he's growing on me uh, a little bit. So I love his goal calls. I think he's absolutely fantastic yeah, with sorry, his goal calls. Sorry, I called him uh, Noriega for some reason earlier in the back. <laughs> someone else. Yeah, Navar Navarro is uh, really grown on me. I think uh, Kobe Jones is still a bit of a weak link, but Navarro 
is getting uh, the English terminology right now. And I think, yeah. again, that's a growing experience. The first game uh, I watched mostly on Telemundo, but I listened to him for a little bit and thought it was terrible. I can't remember who Mexico played in the for, uh, Portugal. By the fourth Mexican game, he was very comfortable with his English terminology and calling a match properly in English using the emotion you get from a, 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 a Hispanic announcer. So I yeah. thought it was great. I thought it was a good marriage. Um, Kobe Jones still needs work, but um, he's getting there. I, I felt like Navarro had to carry him a bit today, but um, he's yeah, Nav- getting there. Yeah, Navarro uh, is a little bit cheesy, though. So even, even though I love his goal calls, and I think he's improved quite a bit uh, in this tournament, uh, like, for example, when the game kicked off, uh, he shouted out in, in his kind of goal voice, uh, play on, it's soccer time. And I thought that was a little bit cheesy. And actually, in the first half of the, of the game, too, uh, the Mexico-Germany game, he started to sing uh, a, a line from It's a Kind of Magic from, from Queen. <laughs> talking about. So, so it's definitely quite different than what we're used to. I kind of um, like that because I like that song. I yeah. like, I'm a big Queen fan. So. And then also for uh, Fabian's incredible goal at the end of the game, uh, his goal call was uh, what a super-duper call, uh, super-duper goal. So it, it is cheesy, but that's his style um but it's starting to grow on me kobe jones kartik yeah you're right i mean just to me it's uh the, the chemistry between the two is really good i think they get along really well and kind of they play play together well uh in the commentary the problem is is that jones's analysis is very still very basic uh, it's one of those things that say any average soccer fan is going to listen to the uh the co-commentary and the color and say okay well that was the same thing i was thinking it doesn't add to the equation in terms of the 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 analysis or, or the commentary and, and to me give me a Stuart robson any day of the week um Stuart robson's like light years ahead of a kobe jones in terms of uh just really pulling the game apart, analyzing why uh, Mexico was so poor in the first 10 minutes. Well, and also I think when you have a manager like Osorio who likes to make changes all the time, if you have a guy like a Stuart Robson analyzing the match or um, a Craig Burley, they will pick apart all these changes, which um, uh, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but the first 10 minutes I think was really instructive because Mexico had a tactic I felt like would have worked against this team, the type of style that Lowe deployed today, they had that. They used that tactic against New Zealand, uh, which is a team that they felt like was going to be playing a lot of playing a lot of balls out wide and then trying to whip crosses in. Germany set up with with uh, uh, two um, uh, with two wingbacks today, more or less, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Mexico never countered that tactic uh, in that in that first half, and there was no dissection of that by Kobe Jones. It was just, well, um, and the midfield was terribly unbalanced. We know that with, with Guardado out, uh, that creates some problems for Mexico. Rafa Marquez wasn't able to go 90 today, so he had to bring him on late. That created some, some trouble in their midfield, but there was no real picking a part of that. Now, maybe we're nitpicking because still um, there are a lot of guys that we've had on ESPN and NBC that wouldn't pick that apart either. But to me, yeah. it was pretty obvious the mistake that was made and, uh, and the, 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 the inability of Osorio, who is a tinker man to, uh, to adjust to it. He had tinkered maybe too much pregame 
getting into this match and rotating team players. Um, Osorio is a guy, for, if you don't watch Mexico very often, those of you that are listening that don't, uh, he didn't do it as much in this tournament, but he he's a guy that even rotates goalkeepers. He'll play one goalkeeper one game. Uh, he'll go through three goalkeepers in three matches. He is, and I watched him when he managed in Major League Soccer, um, he is a tinkerer par excellence, and sometimes that works in major tournaments because the guys have so much rest, uh, so little rest, and you keep guys fresh but at the same time uh it confuses people when you come up against a superior opponent and mexico now has for the second straight major tournament under him looked very good until they f- they hit that really good team chile last year and germany this year and then have just been torn apart uh, yeah and, and for a game of this caliber especially with it being mexico and really that being from fox's position which is what what they've called it um america's second team i mean that's the way the positioning mexico of a match of this caliber, you would expect to have somebody better than Kobe Jones analyzing this game. I will say, though, that with uh, Kobe Jones and, and Navarro being in the studio in Los Angeles, and they're calling the game off the monitor, so they're seeing what we see as, as TV viewers. Uh, that would have been much better if Kobe Jones was actually at the stadium where he could see tactically, shape-wise, if, if changes were being made and probably could provide some better analysis. Uh, yeah, you know, they, when you got to the semifinals, I thought maybe they would use Holden and Strong for Mexico, Germany. I, I, I was just thinking they might because they'd be at the game. And uh, the things I'm talking about are probably things Stu Holden doesn't miss, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the the tactical side of it. And uh, obviously, John Strong uh, w- would probably pick up on it himself yeah, as, the, as the commentator. So I, I, I think you might – you actually – have now explained to me in a way why I've been critical of Jones and uh, Navarro for not picking up on this tactic. I realize they're not at the stadium. It's right. a very good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. So they couldn't see the shape of Mexico. They were seeing what we saw. Exactly. Exactly. I, at the end of the day, I still think Kobe Jones is not the best. And, and to me, if that's the best that uh, Fox can give us uh, for a co-commentator at that level, uh, that's not a good sign. So hopefully Fox is kind of thinking, I, I know that they're going with the All-American approach, but uh, if that's, I mean, I don't know, Ian Joy would have would have ripped uh, Mexico apart and pulled them apart, apart tactically and would have pinpointed for the viewer exactly what was going wrong and where they needed to fix things. Uh, we don't get that with Kobe Jones. Or, or you, I mean, if you're going to call games out of the studio, I mean, I don't want to take Ian Wright out of that um, halftime and, and pregame uh, dynamic and postgame, but I mean, you have Ian Wright, who would probably be much better in that. Uh, Maybe he's the wrong guy to call a Mexico game. Well, I've got nightmares from uh, Ian Wright and Gus Johnson, uh, what, like two or three years ago. Well, that was that was several years ago. And I think he's kind of kicked on since then, unless maybe being in the studio is his uh, his forte, because he I think he's had a really good tournament. I don't know about you, Chris. I will. Very good. I will say that, except for the Portugal Chile game. In that one, he looked like really unprepared. Uh, He didn't really know the Portuguese team that well. He kept on glancing down at his notes. Uh, he couldn't figure out in terms of formation who was playing in the, in the middle. And uh, I think he made a couple of mistakes there on air. Um, it just seems that he didn't ha- has not watched much of this Portuguese uh, team or, or, the, or the, the, pl- the players playing for the club sides. So that's the only thing I would say that um, the only 
downside to, to Ian Wright. Other than that, he's been great. Today, for the Germany game, he, he was, uh, had some great analysis. Uh, just the Portuguese side, he seemed to be kind of weak on that. On that, Yeah, and then I think there's this thing you come up with with British commentators, unless you're talking about a Stuart Robson who watches everything or a Martin Tyler who is incredibly well prepared, which is they tend to take the lazy narrative of what's happened in the Premier League. Yeah. So Claudio Bravo did not have a good year for Manchester City. I can speak to that directly as a Manchester City supporter. It's someone who watched all 38 games and will be forced to pay for it this year. That's a little <laughs> tease for later uh, in the show and what NBC's doing. But um, uh, Ian Wright was focused on Claudio Bravo's failings at Manchester City this season rather than understanding that this was a goalkeeper that had won a UEFA Champions League as a starting keeper for Barcelona and the last two summers has been great in Copa America tournaments and Chile won both those tournaments uh, and had saved penalty kicks. So it's almost as if... uh, it just fits the stereotype English commentator obsessed with what they do in England and uh, English for years, we'd have English commentators say, well, Zlatan isn't very good because he hasn't done it in the premier league. Well, guess what? (laughs) Now they can shut up after last season. Um, But it just reminded me of that. Unfortunately, I will say that the Ian Wright, uh, Fernando Fiore and Lalas chemistry between the three of them was much, much better. And, and just think of like who we we would normally get, which is Warren Barton, which, which I know Kartik, you think he's come a long way. I still think he's kind of stuck in the mud and still hasn't really. Well, no, but he's not at the level. He can't, he can't, uh, I mean, he can't perform at this level. Right. And he should by by this point. He's been there for years. But, but so in terms of going back to the Portugal Chile game, uh, some of the interesting things I saw just uh, in that pregame show, uh, they had some really interesting camera angles in the studio, some really fresh perspectives. Uh, They had excellent, excellent intros by Rob Stone and Kate Abdo. Uh, as well as some good teasers for several kind of thought-provoking segments coming up in that pregame show. Very, very slick, great production. And you can tell, really, that this is the stamp of David Neal, who's the executive producer at Fox Sports. Uh, They hired uh, from NBC Universal, where he did uh, Olympics in the past. And this is the guy that was responsible for the Women's World Cup coverage on Fox Sports. And you can tell how much of a difference this is in terms of production, but also just uh, time and money spent on this. You had the National Geographic segment uh, about a Muslim Sharif and a Catholic priest meeting each other for the first time in Russia. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. But everything was really polished. Uh, the only weak point is, to me at least, is that... Uh, so, so the the, anal- the analysis from Russia. So, when you do have the the Winalda, Hidink, and Kate Abdo, that I thought was fantastic. I mean, Winalda was really in, in a perfect place in terms of his expertise, uh, tactically in coaching, uh, hitting to the chemistry between the two of them was great. And then Kate Abdo asking some thought provoking questions. The only weak point I think is still in that studio set. Even though uh, Fernando Fiore, uh, Ian Wright, and Lalas. Uh, are much better than they have been. I still think that's the weakness. Uh, if you had to look at the entire way that Fox produces these shows, that's the only weak point. So that's that's the one that, that needs the most improvement. Perhaps in, in, with time and better chemistry and maybe a couple of other... T- people coming through uh it'll get better but actually- you, you know it, it's one of these things where the john strong is so good yeah. and, and this is uh, uh 
this is not meant to, as a shot at Lawless or Fiore or anyone else on the Fox team, but John Strong is so good, and he says so much uh, as a commentator during the game that can all, that would also be said by a co-commentator or an analyst that sometimes it seems like the analysis coming from Lawless and from uh, the studio team, this happens during Champions League too, when Strong calls games, is, is pretty weak because Strong has this um, ability to, to present his broadcast in a very anglicized style, which I think we're comfortable with as soccer fans. Yep. But then he also throws in the bits of information that American commentators do uh, to describe uh, the, well, maybe not to describe the action, but to talk about historical facts around players that leaves maybe the guys on the rest of the Fox team with little to say. And that's yep. just something that came to my mind now. Yeah, and he does it in such a way that it doesn't feel like Arlo White's, where Arlo White is just like the first two. Well, Arlo White talks too much compared, I mean, right. Strong is is strong has the right balance exactly exactly so uh the other thing i, I saw kartik I, I know we talked about this last week because I, I hadn't seen it was the the whole fox view and so i watched this for the first time and i'm puzzled because they were they had the fox view on the chile uh portugal game and before the match and they had uh alexis sanchez against uh, cristiano ronaldo and based on the fox view numbers that they looked at and analyzed the fox new view numbers came back that uh uh, Alexis Sanchez was the better player than Ronaldo for this tournament thus far. And that's based on the number of times that they've been able to bypass a player uh, in addition to number of assists and number of goals. And for me, that's, uh, I mean, yes, I mean, they're both world-class players, but what does that prove? I mean, to me, Ronaldo's still a better player, but based on those stats, perhaps Sanchez contributes more. But uh, I, I just didn't... I didn't, I, didn't yeah. get, I didn't get much from that. To, to me, that, that showed a, more of a, a fault in the Fox View analysis where looking at those numbers, I mean, it looks like Sanchez is a better player, but he's not a better play, player than Ronaldo. But yeah, so a couple of thoughts here. Um, first off, I think stats, statistics are uh, largely a creation of people who are trying to explain games without watching them closely or really understanding what they're seeing. So uh, we've had an analyst the last 10 years in particular since the Barcelona phenomena began and Spain began dominating international football if Spain and Germany with their possession-based approach and playing out of the back. Those two national teams really obsess on possession and number of completed passes and these sorts of um, statistics, which, yeah, Spain and Germany always dominate in those categories, unless Germany scores two goals in the first five minutes like they did today, and then they can drop back. But um, uh, it doesn't tell us as much as we think it does. And I think Fox realizes that and because Americans for whatever reason are so obsessed with statistics I don't get it I mean I think statistics often are ways for teams that lose matches or managers who get fired or uh, analysts who don't know what they're talking about to rationalize things honestly Um, so I think this is with that in mind something they're trying to do to add another layer to where we can analyze the quality of player Uh, that having been said I'm, I'm again I watched the same thing as you did yesterday uh, there is no metric to me where anybody should be ahead of Cristiano Ronaldo and in influence on a football match. That includes at this point, honestly, Messi. I think Ronaldo, in my opinion, I don't want to get into this discussion. In my opinion, is the best player in the world and has been for about 18 months now and may have even been before that. Uh, if you look at some of the circumstances on, uh, you know, Messi was in a settled situation. Ronaldo never was at Real Madrid. We can have that debate another time. But, um, it, uh, it's interesting to see that metric, but I do, when Rob Stone introduced it, you were out of the country. Mm-hmm. You, um, 
I understood what Fox was trying to get at because what Rob Stone was saying was that, well, possession and passes, we, we've used this, but it doesn't tell us everything. You can see games where uh, Ronaldo was a perfect example. So Bayern uh, under Pep Guardiola played Real Madrid over two legs. And this, this, that tie was on Fox two seasons ago. And uh, I think over the two legs, Byron had something between 75 and 78% of the possession and completed four times as many passes as Real Madrid and got beat 6-1 on aggregate or 6-2. And it was the Cristiano effect right on counterattacking. Mm-hmm. And, um, how Rob Stone was trying to explain this was we needed a metric to show um, influence of players in bypassing defenders and getting themselves into positions where they can score and they can influence a match rather than uh, just how many touches on the ball they have, how much possession they're keeping. So I think it's another layer and I think it's an important later layer, uh, but it's not, it's not exact. It's not perfect, yep. uh, but it's just, it's another tool. Yeah, it's definitely a talking point. It's something to, to mention kind of in the broadcast that's kind of interesting, something a little bit different. My, my problem with it is that so Alexis Sanchez might bypass more players, more, more defenders, but that doesn't mean he's actually been able to actually create anything with it. Maybe it's a, a cross that goes at, at, you know, uh, out of the box or it, it's, it, it doesn't complete. So to, to me, it's more about completion, whether it's accuracy on shooting, you mean percentage of uh, goals scored from the chances created, uh, to me, those are more meaningful stats, but those are stats that have been for... A and the thing while. about Cristiano is, uh, I, I want to get back to the broadcasting side of this, but the thing about Cristiano that no stat can uh, quantify is his game has completely changed as he's gotten older and he's had to yeah. uh, preserve his body more. I don't think he necessarily bypasses as many defenders now as he did three, four years ago, but he's just as effective. He's the best player in the world. Right. Um, and he he's won he's now won the Euros and the Champions League a Champions League a Euros and a Champions League in in one year which is unbelievable I mean that's the kind of run that very few players in in the history of this game have had and he's over thirty he's doing things a little differently and you can't necessarily quantify those statistically what he's doing but then again uh, Chris we're talking about Ronaldo maybe if you compare any other two players in the world uh, taking Ronaldo and Messi out of this head to head it's a good metric yeah. it's just well, Cristiano is. Cristiano. Yeah, and, and that was my problem with the Fox view for this particular 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 pardon me, uh, Portugal Chile game is that of all the players you pick, you pick the one player who's the best in the world, and you show that he's not the best in the world based on that stat for this tournament. So I, I thought it was just a little bit. I, I don't know. I was kind of scratching my head trying to figure out uh, what they were trying to accomplish. But the whole show, the analysis in the studio probably about 80% of it was focused on Ronaldo and they had a big discussion about whether Portugal was more effective or less effective with Ronaldo uh, on the team and, and that's the that's the weakness that's the part that I think that they they can they can improve is just going deeper and not just uh, say focusing on Ronaldo but focusing on some of the other players uh, on either team that were would make more of a difference. Uh, we all know Ronaldo. Even kind of the average sports fan, mainstream sports fan, probably knows Ronaldo just as well as, as any other athletes in the world. Um, but that's the part I think that Fox can improve on. It's not going for the mainstream, but just going kind of a little bit deeper, going the NBC route in terms of uh, focusing on something that's that we're going to learn from uh, or, or an inter- interesting observation. And uh, one more thing, Kartik, just real fast. To me, the whole um, extra time, the 30 minutes of extra time in tournaments, I don't know, we've said this before, but to me, it's just a waste. I mean, how many times have we had uh, extra times, 30 minutes uh, after regulation and no goals are scored and and then it goes to penalty kicks? I mean, I think at this point, 
uh, I don't know if FIFA would ever, ever consider it, but uh, this just goes go straight to penalties after 90 minutes. But that's a whole other discussion for another day. Yeah. So, this before we move on, I do want to give a shout out. Well, well, look, I, I was I, just one last thing about that. I was thinking when we went to extra time in in both the uh, Brazil the the England uh, Germany game on Tuesday and then the Portugal game Portugal Chile on Wednesday. Uh, gosh, I, I missed the Copa America. <laughs> Because <laughs> you went right to penalties. I mean, yeah. it, it just, I think that 30 minutes of extra time is uh, is lab- laborious for yeah. those of us that watch the ma- uh, the game professionally. Maybe for fans, it's not, but it's just, it's it's difficult. And that was something that Portugal, Chile, the Fox crew was kept, kept on going back to saying like, well, this is not a boring game. Uh, I, this is really exciting. And, and yes, it was an exciting game, but it just felt very long. It just seemed to go on and on and on. And there were moments of brilliance but for the most part it was a pretty dull game at times not not yeah i mean lawless was was harping on about this isn't your typical nil nil and he's right Right. but i felt like he was having to justify exactly time and then the the penalties by saying that i I think it concerned he wasn't wrong but i think that that's again and you know what uh i do the same thing because when you're talking to non-soccer fans and they see a scoreline like that they get after you so i think lawless was thinking the same thing you know i better just get out in front of this and defend this this match before the fox guys who come on after who are nfl guys or nba guys or whatever rip all we're just on on this network we just had a nil nil game who wants to watch that type of thing and Fiore did the same thing uh, after that game. And also, even today, on today's Mexico-Germany broadcast, he was kind of mentioning uh, yesterday's game. It wasn't boring. Just trying to defend it. Um, I think I mean, if, if they think a game was boring, just call it boring. I mean, I, I don't know. That's another story. All right. So uh, a shout-out to our sponsor, and that's SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. And with SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just use SeatGeek to look for tickets to Swansea's Friendlies against Philadelphia, North Carolina FC, and Richmond Kickers this summer. Of course, there's the ICC games and a ton of other uh, clubs from around the world coming to the United States this summer. SeatGeek is designed to help make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It it saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding best, the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code, code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, on to TV streaming news, and I'll have you uh, kick it off. Yeah, um, 
Fox is going to do something that now is becoming more and more mainstream, uh, which is uh, broadcast UEFA Champions League games on Facebook in the 2017-2018 season. We have seen uh, multiple broadcasters use Facebook or Twitter to broadcast uh, live matches. Uh, this, this trend began with Liga MX with Facebook in, uh, uh, in uh, March, and then we see uh, some NASL games uh, on Twitter and PGA Tour events. Actually, if you want to watch a golf tournament right now, uh, since we're recording this on a Thursday, you can, you can go to Twitter and you'll watch whatever the tour event is this week live. And then uh, MLS with Facebook and now uh, Fox with the Champions League in Fox's last season mm-hmm. of covering the UEFA Champions League. So let's see if this continues with Turner after this. Yeah, and it, so it won't be the biggest game. So it won't be the game that's on FS1 or FS2 or Fox Sports Regional, or ESPN. Uh, usually they have one of the games. Uh, it's it's going to be one of the games that usually would land on Fox Soccer to go, and they'll take uh, one or two of those games, uh, I think, on, on each match day. So it could be, I don't know, I, I was going to say Ruben Kazan, but it, it could be a, a lesser team, but still it could be a, an entertaining match and something uh, worth watching and, and just another way to uh, help grow soccer and help grow uh, Fox Sports and, and the UEFA Champions League. Now, Kartik, I know this will be news uh, that you'll be happy about. Uh, NBC Sports has launched a new F2 Freestylers digital series starring F2. Uh, it's called Forces in Football, and it reviews and dissects some of the, the craziest and most breathtaking goals in recent uh, EPL and FA Cup history, uh, whether it's a stoppage time winner, a penalty kick, or just a, a great uh, overhead uh, bicycle kick. Uh, and in each episode, the hosts, who are uh, Billy Wingrove and Jeremy Lynch, they will break down the goals and highlights and uh, highlight the moments uh, leading up to the goal and the celebrations following these game-changing moments. Uh, the 12-video series will consist of six videos highlighting EPL goals, and you can find those on NBC, NBCSports.com. And then they'll have six videos of FA Cup goals appearing on F2's YouTube channel. Uh, it's interesting that they're doing the EPL and FA Cup, even though NBC doesn't have the rights to the FA Cup. But maybe this is a kind of a, a gentle push and maybe something to try to influence the FA and try to get in their good graces, perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. And I'm excited to see more of the F2 freestylers. I'm big fans of theirs, as, as you know. Uh, Fox Sports, uh, Chris, has eliminated 20 writing and editing positions in Los Angeles and will replace them with similar jobs in video production editing and promotion now we've seen foxsports.com and foxsoccer.com which is just really the soccer site for fox sports uh they've maintained the url and some of the fox soccer branding on it uh go from heavy written content and even featuring the lights of uh patty barclay and amy lawrence and and and, uh Jonathan Wilson and others. I had Jonathan Wilson on the tip of my tongue when he said that. Very, very good. You're reading my mind. Uh, Two more video-heavy content, and they're going to continue that. Um, It's unfortunate, but I have to admit that I don't really go to Fox Soccer for soccer news. Um, So Jamie Horowitz said – and he oversees uh, Fox Sports uh, cable networks and online operations. Uh, he, he said in, in the memo to Fox employees, creating compelling sports video content is what we do best at Fox Sports. We will be shifting our resources and business model away from written content and instead focus on our fans' growing appetite for premium video access across all our platforms. Uh, I, I understand that. I think that 
if you look at what ESPN has been able to do with the ESPN FC website, they've been able to balance the two where they have a lot of good video content, uh, and, but they also have some of the best written articles, particularly uh, Gab Marcotti's stuff uh, that they have online uh, and uh, readily available. And, and sometimes they have so much content, it's tough to find. But I think that, again, there are different priorities. I think ESPN, ESPN.com in general is a, is a site that breaks a lot of news. And ESPN FC is the soccer site connected with ESPN.com uh, is the same, breaks a lot of news in written form. Fox just has never done that. In other news, in any sports, in, in other news, uh, beginning in July, Directv now is dropping support for the Safari and Internet Explorer browsers. So, if you do subscribe to Directv uh, now, which is the streaming product, which uh, you don't have to be a Directv subscriber to, to get, uh, and you want to watch uh, some of its programming uh, on Safari or Internet Explorer, you're going to have to switch your browser to Google Chrome, and that's the only one that uh, they're supporting. Uh, in the future. So uh, go ahead and switch if you haven't done so already. Um, Fox Sports is uh, uh, going to be the second media company to subscribe to Nielsen's out-of-home rating service, joining ESPN in measuring viewership at home, hotels, gyms, bars, and the workplace. Uh, the measurements are expected to be in place for the NFL's regular season. Fox signed a multi-year deal to uh, measure O. OH data for all the Fox networks each week. Um, the agreement calls for Nielsen to provide ratings for everything from live programs to the live plus seven day measurement via its portable people meter. Fox has said when OOH viewing was added to last year's NFL regular season numbers, ratings jumped by 16% in the adults 18 to 49 demo. Um, yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see that for Fox because a lot of people watch those um, on, on online at offices when you're talking about Champions League or at bars and pubs. Mm-hmm. So um, looking forward to uh, that, and I, I wish at some point NBC would subscribe to it so we could get maybe a more accurate portrayal of Premier League numbers uh, with pubs factored in. Absolutely. In other news, uh, Sky Sports are revamping the channels in the UK. And uh, previously, they've had Sky Sports 1, Sky Sports 2, Sky Sports 3, uh, 4, and 5. And they're changing those into themed channels. So they're going to have a Sky Sports football, uh, Sky Sports golf, Sky Sports cricket, and so on and so forth. So uh, interesting changes there from Sky Sports. Uh, this July, uh, starting next month, uh, watch out for ICC China games on ESPN featuring Arsenal, Bayern, Borussia Dortmund, AC Milan, Inter Milan, and Lyon. Uh, also look out for ICC Singapore games on ESPN, which will feature Chelsea, Bayern, and Inter. Uh, the games will be shown across the ESPN platforms, ESPN U, ESPN Deportes, ESPN3. Uh, check WorldSoccerTalk.com for the complete schedules. And a reminder also, the ICC United States games you'll see on ESPN, ESPN2, and uh, the channels I just mentioned. And then last but not least, uh, USA's uh, first three games of the Gold Cup are going to be on Fox, FS1, and then FSXX. <laughs> Actually, FXX, not, not, not three Xs, two Xs. Uh, so those games are going to be against Panama, Martinique, and Nicaragua. And uh, the complete schedule for all the games is going to be at uh, worldsoccertalk.com. But uh, FXX used to be Fox yeah. uh, Soccer Channel, and uh, that's got about 89, I actually know, 84 million homes. Uh, so much bigger than the Fox Soccer Channel's numbers when uh, that was around. But uh, that should be good. Oh, 
Oh, and this is actually interesting because FXX could give, uh, and, and it's it's nice to see that channel back in play because that was Fox Soccer Channel. FXX could potentially give Fox another outlet for next summer's World Cup if they run into these conflicts. Yep. Uh, FS2 is in fewer homes than FXX. And that game is going to be on a Saturday night too, so that the TV numbers from that one should be pretty decent, although there will be confusion, I'm sure, uh, people are tuning in, not being able to find out where that game is. But uh, that's why we're getting the word out early, uh, several several weeks in advance. Mo- moving on to the next segment, Kartik, and that's TV ratings. Um, we've got a whole bunch of numbers here. Of course, as always, we'll have all the numbers uh, for all the games at worldsoccertalk.com. We have a weekly wrap-up story by uh, Colin Werner. Uh, some of the big numbers that jump out, uh, Telemundo yet again for the second week in a row is uh, leading the numbers, uh, 2.2 million people for Mexico against Russia. And that was uh, the game that was on Telemundo on Saturday from uh, 11 Eastern to 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that same game on Fox, on Big Fox, had uh, 780,000 people. And uh, so far, as an average for the Confederations Cup, um, Telemundo is getting three times as many viewers for their games as Fox is. So Telemundo is just definitely running away with uh, the ratings game and doing uh, an excellent job there. Now, Kartik, any other numbers here that uh, jump out at you? We've got uh, some other numbers from... We've got some numbers from MLS. And Not really. I mean, I thought that the uh, 467 for the New York Derby wasn't great uh, on fo- it being on Fox. The numbers for Fox over-the-air games have been down this year for MLS. Uh, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. Uh, Seattle-Portland on uh, ESPN2 at 294,000 was lower than I expected. I think that has a lot to do with the time change that happened at the last minute for that game due to uh, uh, the uh, weather. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then also uh, it being on ESPN2 rather than ESPN. So while that number is underwhelming and I have always made the case, and there are people, people who uh, maybe have followed me for a long time who will stick it in my face that the uh, that the Hudson River Derby got a better number than the Cascadia game because I've always uh, said very openly that I felt like that MLS should use Cascadia to drive its TV profile, not uh, the New York teams. Uh, that I, I think that there were circumstances for why that happened. New York, uh, the New York game, I said the rating wasn't very good, but it also had the Mexico game as a lead-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Seattle, Portland, as I said, was the, the time was changed uh, two ma- two nights before the match, and um, it, it didn't uh, it, it didn't uh, uh, necessarily translate well. Although, as I said in the first segment, they did a great job, uh, ESPN, mm-hmm. of presenting it. Although, yeah, and, and that one was a late kickoff for uh, East Coast, too, so 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, right, and as, and, and as I said, it wasn't supposed to be at that time. It right. was supposed to be at 6 or 7 Eastern. Yeah, or even, even earlier than that, I think. But anyway, it, oh, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. it was a big change there. Okay, so let's move on to listener mailbag. We've got a couple of um, emails that came through this week. The first one is from Dave Brunk, and he says, I totally agree that the VAR, which is the Video Assistant Referee Experiment during the Confederations Cup, has been a debacle. I agree with you, Gaffer, that this is uh, how it will be. If, if this is how it will be, I no longer want it. Well, the good news, at least, well, the Mexico-Germany game didn't really have any incidents in that uh, the Portugal-Chile game did have one incident, but uh, the VAR wasn't used. Um, I'm wondering if they're pulling it back a little bit and not trying to use it for every little thing, but... uh 
we'll have to wait and see. I yeah, I, I have to say that the if if it's going to be used just for those really critical calls, we need it. But yeah. last week when we had our segment, which a lot of people have reacted to, it was based on uh, it being like uh, when I used to watch American sports, and there would be stoppages every few minutes, um, and it wasn't tolerable. But I think maybe FIFA's getting getting it right, fine tuning it, and, and uh, maybe we'll see it in this kind of more conservative fashion next summer. And then Scott from McKellen, Texas, says uh, in regards to VAR, he says, I like VAR in a very limited uh, aspects. Reviewing every goal, absolutely not. I was watching Mexico against Russia with my wife and watched a goal get waved off because of an obvious offside uh, that should have been called before the goal. The refs, at least in this tournament, seem to get lazy on offside calls. Uh, people may argue this, but it seems to me that refs usually are pretty good about getting offside calls correctly. Uh, there was an incident, I think uh, it was at Chile against Cameroon, uh, while there was a pretty blatant offside uh, call missed, not to mention the announcer in Telemundo yelling uh, goal, only to have it called back on an obvious offside call. I do think it works great for reviewing penalty shots. Penalty shots are rare. Uh, I guess he's called, uh, saying that penalty calls, really, are rare, but uh, greatly affect a game, especially uh, when diving is involved. I am on the fence about red cards, but I do, do believe some blatant fouls need uh, reviewing. Just, leaves, just leave offside calls and goals to human error. Maybe there could be a way to make it more interactive uh, when something controversial happens. I just don't think it uh, should be a regular part of the game, but something used sparingly in a sport where the clock doesn't stop. Okay, Kartik, so let's move on to our feature topic of the week. And this is a big one, especially for our viewers. And that was the news. And it was actually shocking news on Tuesday that uh, NBC announced a brand new streaming service, uh, a paid su subscription service called Premier League Pass. Now, this is something that uh, I don't think anyone asked for, but we got it. So what it is for those viewers or th those listeners perhaps, um, that haven't had a chance to uh, read about it, and we've got three or four stories about it on worldsoccertalk.com. Well, what it is, it's a streaming service uh, that is going to stream uh, the games that are not on television. So on a typical Premier League weekend, you've got the, the Saturday morning early kickoff at 7.30 Eastern. That's on television. The 10 o'clock Eastern time, you usually have uh, two of those games on television, one on NBCSN and uh, one on CNBC. Uh, then you've got the 12.30 game on uh, NBC or NBCSN uh, Eastern time. And then the Sunday, 8.30 a.m. kickoff, uh, Eastern time on NBCSN, followed by the 11 o'clock kickoff on NBCSN, and then sometimes the Monday kickoff at 3 p.m. on NBCSN. So what the Premier League Pass will do is the only way that you can watch those games that are not televised. So that could roughly be three games on the 10 a.m. Eastern Saturday uh, time slot, sometimes three, sometimes four, but those are only going to be available via uh, Premier League Pass, which is a subscription digital service um, that you have to subscribe to and pay $50 for the, the, for the season to watch those games. Now, what it means is that Premier League Extra Time, those overflow channels that you may have seen on DirecTV uh, or depending on what uh, service you have, Dish, uh, Time Warner, etc., etc., those are going away completely. So you will not no longer have the Premier League Extra Time um, channels if you are lucky to, to have those. It also means on the NBC Sports app, which used to be called NBC Sports Live Extra, that you can watch, as long as you're a, uh, a TV subscriber, 
you can still watch uh, those games uh, through the NBC Sports app as long as it's only on television. So it's on television and you subscribe to television uh, to those NBC channels, then you can watch uh, those games through there. Again, what you're not going to be able to see are those those games on, on Saturdays. Those those games are not usually shown, which sometimes could be your Crystal Palaces, your Newcastles, your Swansea's, your Stokes, your... Um, uh, so in a, a Brighton and Hove Arbion, your Burnleys, uh, those uh, teams that usually um, the only way you can watch it is through Premier League Extra Time or NBC Sports Live Extra, now known as NBC Sports App. <sighs> so there's a lot to take in there. Um, and the first reaction I had was really a huge disappointment because to me, from my side, I was hoping that if it, if NBC would ever do something like this, that they would offer th- all 380 games for the entire season. So if you wanted to cut the cord and subscribe to NBC, to their streaming package and see everything you could. But what this is, is a, a kind of a hybrid in-between package. It's 130 games a season. And uh, if you have a TV subscription, you'd have to get this Premier League pass for $50 in order to watch, be able to watch everything or ha- have access to everything. Uh, and then for those people that, that like, who are cord cutters or like to stream um, legally, you would have to pay for this, but then you wouldn't be able to access all the, t- the other TV or the, the other 250 games that are on TV. So it's doesn't it, 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 to me it really doesn't provide much value at all if it had all 380 games that would have been a slam dunk that would have been perfect uh, I probably would have signed up for it, for, for it overnight just to be able to do that and cut the cord but the challenge that uh, NBC has is that they have uh, distributor deals uh, with all the different distribution companies out there such as the DirecTVs and the uh, Dish Networks and the Comcast etc Plus, NBC Sports is owned by Comcast. So what they want to do is make sure that uh, they don't lose lose TV subscribers. And they came up with a solution just to generate more uh, revenue. So I do not like it at all. And I've written a couple of pieces at uh, worldsoccertalk.com that go into more detail about why I don't like it. There's many other reasons. But, uh, but Kartik, I wanted to get your, your thoughts on this one and see what, uh, what you thought about the news and uh, if you see any, any positives from this or, or, or is it all negative? No, there are no, there are no positives from it. I mean, I understand why it's happening. You've outlined that, and keep in mind, NBC uh, shelved over a record amount of money for for the U.S. market uh, to secure Premier League rights for an extended period for six years instead of the the usual three years. So they have to recoup some of that uh, that output uh, of money, but. Uh, I, I, I've been through this with uh, the league I worked for, the NASL, where uh, we had uh, um, offered games. Uh, we they, There had always been a pay package with USL for um, for digital games. Then the U.S. Soccer Federation in 2010, when we had a hybrid league, decided to offer the games for free uh, online with varying streaming capacity, uh, capabilities. Some teams streamed their, their broadcasts well, others didn't. But um, everything was free. You could see your team play. So 2011, we, 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 we launched NASL as an independent league, and our initial thought was to have a, to go behind a paywall. Um, we couldn't do that because the few fans that we had in, of the league were adamant that you couldn't do that, that they had now gotten the games for free thanks to the U.S. Soccer Federation the previous year. Then a couple of years later, after I left NASL but was working with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers 2014, we decided to put uh, – the NASL decided to put their games behind a paywall except for one game a week that would be on ESPN3. And the interest and uh, coverage of the league dropped. Uh, and 
then 2015, the NASL decides to put all their games on ESPN3. And 2016, 2017, they've had TV deals with CBS and NBN, et cetera. But um, uh, you, you saw one year drop in interest in the NASL because they had put games behind the paywall. Mm-hmm. Um, now, again, that's a minor league in the United States, which is a niche, a minor league with struggling clubs that pop up and pop down and go out of business all the time. But uh, I think it's pretty instructive to what happens if you take a product that's free and you put it behind the paywall when there is competition from other uh, leagues and other uh, other um, entertainment options. Now, that 10 o'clock Eastern time, start time, 3 p.m. British Standard Time, conflicts directly with Bundesliga matches. And Fox has had a very hard time getting the Bundesliga kickstarted, even though the quality of the league, in my opinion, is better than the Premier League. We're seeing that again in this Confederations Cup with this uh, second-string Germany team where the entire team, other than Rudiger, plays in the Bundesliga. They're, they're uh, not even really Bundesliga stars, a lot of them, but they uh, look like the best team in this tournament. Um, this may give Fox the opening to get um, more eyeballs on their games on FS1 and FS2 because the people who channel surf for Premier League fans would go from uh, NBCSN to CNBC to Extra Time 1 to Extra Time 2, uh, 491, 492, 493 on DirecTV. Now they might go um, uh, 220 to 355, that's SN to uh, CNBC, to uh, 219. It's just a channel down from 220. That's uh, FS1. They'll be showing a Bundesliga game. FS2 showing up on this league a game, I think. And then now we've seen earlier start times for big matches in Spain this past season than we ever did before. Maybe there, there are Spanish games you want to watch on BN. Or maybe you're a subscriber to Sling or Fubo, and you're just going to fire that up and watch whatever other league. Um, I don't think there's anything really positive that can come from this, other than NBC maybe um, uh, recouping some of their losses and, and uh, trying to stop a decline of court cut, uh, stop the, uh, the, the trend of court cutting, right? Yeah, there's a lot to take in here. So, so just a couple of things real fast. So I'm writing a FAQ, which will go into greater detail about answering all the questions that you have, the listeners and the readers. Uh, and there's a lot more questions. And you probably already have a bunch of questions in your mind. But, uh, but go to willsoccertalk.com and then the homepage will have a detailed FAQ. The other thing I'm going to do, too, is actually look at last season as an example. And based on last season, how many uh, games were shown on television for each individual club, I'll give you an, an estimation of how many, what percentage of games this season are going to be available through Premier League Pass. Um, that 130 games that will be on Premier League Pass, it's about 34% of games of, of an entire season. But for your club... It could be 40%, 50%, 60% of those games could be on the Premier League pass. Also, uh, it's supposed to be every single club. So even the Liverpools, Manchester United's, Manchester City's, Chelsea's, Arsenal's, Tottenham Hotspur's of the world, uh, there's supposed to be a minimum of three games which are only going to be available. And and I will tell you. I will tell you what this will do. I, I meant to mention this earlier in my comments, Chris. This um, will mean that NBC will not necessarily be sell- selecting the two most attractive games at 10 a.m. for NBCSN and CNBC. Now, most of the time they will, but there are times they will drop Man United or Liverpool or Man City or whoever to the Premier League pass to force people to buy it. Um, just wait Just wait for that to happen. I, I, I think there's going to yeah, be a lot of I, I don't 
I don't think that'll happen, but what I do think... I think it probably will, honestly. We'll have to wait, we'll have to wait and see. But I think what will happen is that the, that 10 a.m. Eastern, you'll have the one game on NBCSN, the game that uh, is usually on CNBC. From, from time to time, they may just put that one on Premier League Pass. So you might have four games in that window that are only available through Premier League Pass. But I think... Um, I don't think they'll do... Now, they're never, they're never going to put a game between those two... Um, uh, don't misunderstand me. They're never right. going to put a game between those two teams against one another yeah. on Premier League Pass. But I could see them bumping a Man City versus Bournemouth game they would normally show on CNBC to uh, Premier League Pass and then instead show a Newcastle versus Swansea on CNBC giving some some uh, 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 justification for why they're doing that to force the Manchester City fans to buy Premier League Pass. That I can see. They will never put a game between two big teams right. on that because right. that would hurt their ratings. Exactly. And and, and to me, I, I would think that the Premier League is probably looking at this thinking, uh, oh boy, th- this is not good because it's not going to help the, the growth of the league in the United States. I mean, the greatest thing about the uh, NBC's coverage of the Premier League is when they launched it in 2013, when they announced it, I went to the press conference in New York City and their slogan was um, every club, every game, every season. And that was back, well, it's been, what, 2013, so it's been like over four, uh, four years now. Uh, this has changed with that. So now we get uh, most clubs, most games, um, every season. So not the same at all. Um, the other thing it does, it creates a lot of confusion in, in the marketplace. So for the average sports fan or a mainstream sports fan who's interested in soccer, maybe watch the Confederations Cup, maybe watch the Gold Cup, maybe watch some of the ICC games and wants to get into Premier League football and to learn about the different clubs and which clubs they should support. Uh, this adds a brick wall. It, it adds a, uh, a paywall to that process. So if you get into that fan becomes an Everton fan and then he, he, he or she finds out that that Everton game is only available via Premier League pass and they're not bought, bought in yet to the Premier League or to the, to the Everton Football Club. Uh, it creates a diversion. I mean, maybe they'll, they'll switch it to a, a Dortmund game or a, a Bayern Munich game. So from Fox's perspective, they're going to be very happy, as well as the Bundesliga, as well as La Liga. Uh, you're right. You're right there, Kartik. Yeah, and let, let me also point out that NBC has been sporadic. We've talked about this repeatedly on this show uh, about three, three to four months ago, sporadic in their presentation of Match of the Day, uh, which uh, you know, was trying to find its niche. What's Match of the Day's role uh, in this country? Because it has a, it, it has a lore in, in the UK, not just because it's a traditional program on the BBC, but also because you don't get many games on television there. Now that they're doing this, they better darn well have Match of the Day airing every Saturday night and every Sunday night. Well, Saturday in particular because of uh, the Saturday games that are impacted by this. Otherwise, you're beginning, you're going to begin to see uh, people who are Everton fans, people who are Newcastle fans, I'm trying to think of the popular, really popular teams that might be affected the most by this West Ham. Uh, those sorts of clubs really begin to drop off. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you better at least give them elongated highlights. Um, or another thing they can do is they can have um, – a highlight in the corner in, in another box uh, of the games they're showing on CNBC and NBC SN at 10 o'clock uh, in another box when there is a goal, a goal alert, and, and give us that. I, I assume this means goal zone is going away too. Um, the NBC, not goal zone, the goal, goal rush goal program rush. is going away as well. So uh, they, they, 
maybe they can do that. They have to do something. I, I, I think maybe NBC was surprised by the outrage about this. Um, I think so too. No. I think so too. And it's not over. I mean, the season hasn't started yet. It starts August 12th. Uh, any listeners that are outraged by this, just as you and I are, Kartik, I encourage them to, to contact NBC Sports either through their website or through social media and just voice their opinion. If, you, if, you're, not, if you're not happy with it, just let them know that you're not happy with get, it. Let me, get, let me give you another uh, thing here. A lot of our listeners may not be aware of this. I mean, we, we, we bag on Fox a lot on this program, but Fox, at least in their Bundesliga coverage, they're not showing us as much of the league as we'd like and, and bumping into FS2 a lot, etc. But if I need, if I want to see highlights from a Bundesliga game, I can find them online very easily at, at Fox's site. Yep. And pretty quickly after the games are over, they cut the highlights quickly. I think they get a package from the Bundesliga, but still, uh, you can't, that's not available for the Premier League. So um, well, plus, yeah, we, we could be in a position where the Bundesliga is more accessible in some regards. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, with Fox Soccer to go, which is just rebranded to Fox Soccer Match Pass. Yeah, Match Pass. Uh, that one offers uh, all of the Bundesliga games. So if you subscribe to that, you don't miss a single game. You can't get that with uh, the Premier League anymore. And, and that's the confusion, too. The confusion angle is that every single week uh, in the past, the past four years, you would have known, okay, I don't have to worry about kind of searching to see when Everton plays or West Ham plays or Swansea plays, whoever it is. I know for sure that uh, it's going to be on, um, sometimes it'll be on television, sometimes it's not, but I can go to NBC Sports app and watch it and cast it to my television set or watch it on a laptop, smartphone, Roku, Apple, you name it. Uh, that's not the case anymore. You don't have to look at those schedules every single week and see, okay, is this on Premier League Pass? And if it's on Premier League Pass, what's going to happen? And I think really, which is horrible, but I think what's going to happen is that there's going to be a lot of people going to illegal streams and it's just say, you know what? It's not worth 50 bucks for the entire season. My team, say Everton, is going to be on there, I don't know, like say, I don't know, uh, seven or eight times. I'm just going to illegally stream uh, those games on those days rather than having a Premier League Pass where the majority of the games are not going to involve Everton in those matches. So it doesn't help the situation at all. If anything, it makes it a lot worse. The other thing it hurts too, Kartik, is and we've seen this so many times that uh, NBC would really kind of hype up the 10, 10 a.m. Eastern game on a Saturday and say it was Man City against uh, Stoke City or something like that. And we watch the game. Well, this is this would be different for you, Kartik, but we, I'm watching this game and I'm like, this is a dud. This is kind of boring. Nothing's really happening in this one. And for me, it was so easy just to... Go grab NBC Sports. Oh, app. yeah, and, I did and, that all the time. I mean, I, and I, got, I got all the games on Overflow Channel. So there were games, it, it happened, it would happen as often as it didn't happen last right. season. Because yeah. I think the league was particularly bad last season. I, I've said of the 25 seasons of the Premier League, last season was probably the, the second worst behind the first or second season of the league. Um, I would switch to the Bournemouth game, Bournemouth in particular, because they would play exciting games and play good football to the Bournemouth game on extra time all the time. It seemed like Uh, Bournemouth. um, Another one that I would like to watch at times was West Ham because uh, whether, whatever you like, whatever you think of village, I think his teams play good football. Um, And in Burnley, there were some really exciting, some good Burnley games. Right. So I I was doing that as often as uh, the two things I was doing last season, Chris was switching to the 492, 493, 494 to watch Burnley or, or Bournemouth or, or West Ham, or I was flipping to the Bundesliga. Yeah. 
yeah. um, because the games that were being played by the bigger teams, the Man, Man United games were dire oh, yeah. uh, most yeah. of the season. <laughs> and then those would generally get the top top uh, billing. There were a lot of Liverpool games that were poor. There were a lot of Man City games where either City were dire or they would take a two or three nil lead, right? Yeah, right away, and there was no point in watching it past a certain point. And Arsenal were at times dire. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. I just there's I we 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 could talk this to death. There just isn't really a whole lot positive for NBC and for the Premier League or for the Premier League in particular that can come from this. Yeah, and it's sadly, it's sad because it will hurt the league's growth in this country. Not just the league's growth, but the sport of soccer in general. It just it limits the accessibility, and that was what was so great about NBC's uh, coverage of the Premier League. It was so accessible. As long as you had a TV subscription, uh, you could get it, no problem. The other thing, though, Kartik, which is a big, big deal, and I, I don't think a lot of people know about it. I've written about it uh, at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Is that um, if you're a PlayStation View subscriber or you're a DirecTV Now subscriber, uh, you could access NBC Sports app uh, using that those logins to, to log into the NBC Sports app, either through the website or through the apps themselves, uh, and watch all of the, the Premier League games, even the ones not on television. Now, with the launch of this Premier League Pass, which is coming up for the, this new season, that they're going to cut those ties. So... For a PlayStation View subscriber that uh, authenticates with the NBC Sports app, yes, you can watch the golf or you can watch the, the tennis or you can watch um, the games that are on television. But for those games that you previously had access to that were not on television, that you went through PlayStation View and then got into NBC Sports app that way, that is gone. And that's gone for PlayStation View and that's gone for DirecTV now. So that's going to hurt things on that side too. So... There's not a lot of positives, very few positives, probably no positives from this. And it's just a shame that um, NBC Sports has done such a great job for four years getting everything right, almost everything right. I can't believe that they made such a big mistake on this one. Yeah, I, I'm. I've actually been floored by the news, and I haven't uh, really weighed in on uh, Twitter the way I normally would when something like this is announced because I was so stunned by it, and then wanted to wait to collect my thoughts and discuss it on this podcast. But it's uh, it's all bad, and then for those PlayStation View subscribers, you're just going to be treated like any other television customer now. Yeah, really, absolutely. So, Kartik, uh, for those uh, listeners who want to uh, catch up with you on social media and find out, uh, in addition to World Soccer Talk, like whether other podcast appearances you're doing and other places you're writing for, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me uh, writing also at Prost America, uh, which is ProstAmerica.com, and the Florida Squeeze, the FloridaSqueeze.com, uh, and also the Yanks are coming, which is Yanks are coming. Know the in the in the URL YanksAreComing.com. I'm also on on the Yanks are coming podcast, which is weekly or biweekly. Really depends a lot on, on U.S. matches. Uh, that's a U.S. men's national team podcast. Uh, I am uh, on the Tailgate Show an awful lot. I'll be on that again tonight. You can just Google that or look for that on on iTunes or your podcast app. Uh, that's a local uh, South Florida soccer show, but we talk a lot of European football on there as well. Uh, although I think tonight we're going to be talking more Boca Raton FC and Fort Lauderdale Strikers. And um, I, I end up being on Daniel Forestine's show, Forestine's Fire, an awful lot to talk about um, generally the U.S. men's national team and uh, some of these TV things. And I, I and 
he uh daniel is going to have me on uh this this monday to talk about this uh nbc development so uh, I, I think maybe I, maybe i've given him no nothing left to talk about <laughs> with this but um everybody's kind of up in arms about it yeah. so um so that, that among other things that you can find me on twitter at kkfla737 yeah and speaking of tv too kartik has a great review of fox's confederations cup that goes into a lot more detail in terms of their coverage uh to date so thanks for listening you can get a new episode of the world soccer talk podcast every thursday or friday every episode is released on soundcloud youtube stitcher itunes audio boom and worldsoccertalk.com if you like the show share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on itunes and kartik enjoy your football